we go. Let's read in verse number 12. This inspired preacher and writer says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Uh, Dr. John mentioned that we are undertaking a pretty lengthy study in Bible study as we are going through the book of Proverbs. And one of the things that the Proverbs do is they will take something in the physical realm and paint a picture of this, how it works in the physical realm, whether it's an ant, a donkey, or a fire, or anything else. And then he'll swing the door and say, now if it's like that in the physical realm, it is equally like that in the spiritual and unseen world. So a lot of times we learn spiritual truth by things that God has built into nature and to the physical realm in order to give us insight into the spiritual. And I think that's what the writer of the Hebrews or the preacher of the Hebrews does in this passage today because here's what he's doing. Last week he talked about the dangers of having a hard heart and today he's really setting before us how to avoid that and how to have a healthy heart. So I want to speak to you for a little while this morning on that subject as we consider this, this topic, a heart-healthy body. Now, you know, we hear a lot about that today, do we not? I mean, all you got to do is turn on the TV and there, there are commercials on there about gyms wanting you to give them an annual membership because they say that cardiovascular exercise is good for your health. We watch TV for a little while longer and we see that there will be a, a commercial on there about controlling your blood pressure or something with this medication. It seems that every other commercial these days is either a lawyer or some type of pharmaceutical company trying to sell us drugs. You can watch a little while longer and you'll see another commercial about a vitamin supplement that claims to boost healthy heart function and just how to have a healthier heart. So we're bombarded with this idea about having a healthy heart physically. But now, how about spiritually? Because you see, here's the connection. You know that sometimes we have an unhealthy heart and the problem did not stem nor start with our heart muscle itself. You know, a lot of people have heart troubles because of another organ in their body that was either diseased or not functioning properly. 
For example, if you go to a cardiologist and you have a certain set of symptoms, you know, one of the first things he's going to do is check your kidneys. You say, well, wait a minute, I'm not having a problem with my kidneys. You think. You think you're just having a heart problem. But no, it's actually your kidneys that are triggering the heart issues. Or he may send you to a pulmonologist because what's making your heart not be healthy may come from another organ like your lungs. And you see, that's what this writer is talking about today. He's talking about the significance of our other members. And look, now, here's where the analogy kind of mixes. Because we're going to talk now about members, not organs of our physical body, but about members of the spiritual body, that is, the body of Christ, i.e., the church of Jesus Christ. You see, not only does the church have a collective heart and a collective character, but we also have individual hearts. And our individual hearts help make up the character of our collective heart. So we want to see just what our personal responsibility is today as it relates to our contribution to making sure that Grace Church always has a vital, healthy heart. And it starts with our own because we are the individual members. So notice what it is that this writer tells us and this scripture divides pretty easily in verses 12 through 15 and then in verses 16 through 19. So there's two major things he says here about having a heart healthy body. Number one, this is what he says in verses 16 through 19 about having a heart healthy body. A heart healthy body has members who realize their personal duty to the fellowship. Their personal duty to the fellowship. You see, we are not disconnected. We do not live in isolation as the people of God. We are very vitally connected so much that the scripture says we are not a group of individuals, but we're an individual group. We're not a body of individuals, but we're an individual body. And we are all contributing members to the function of this body. Dr. John talked a few Wednesday nights ago about irreducible complexity. Boy, the body of Christ is that. Irreducible complexity. Every one of us here has a vital role, a vital function, a vital place. And if we're not filling that and functioning properly, then the body will not be healthy. So notice what he says. Again, a heart-healthy body has members who realize their personal duty to the fellowship. So what do you expect he's going to tell us next? He's going to begin to enumerate what our duty to the fellowship happens to be. So check this out. Notice what he does. Let's just walk through these verses one by one and we'll see what it is he says. Number one, here's our first duty to the body. Individual members have a duty to give pastoral care pastoral care. Now watch this. Most of the time when folks hear the word pastoral care, they immediately excuse themselves from it because they think, well, I'm not a pastor. That's something, something that only pastors do. But you see, that's not the case at all. Pastoral care simply means we care for one another. That means I've got your back, you've got my back, and we all have this equal responsibility to care for one another. So to answer the question that I hear asked a lot, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. 
We have a pastoral responsibility one to another. Now notice how this comes out in verse number 12. Look what he says. He says, take care, brothers. Did you see that? He didn't say, hey, pastor, you be on the lookout for this. He said, brothers. And now let me explain that to you for a minute because he's not just excluding ladies. But Dane will tell you that in our host culture language of Portuguese, it's very gender uh, specific. Gender kills us sometimes because English has no gender rules at all. But in Portuguese, let's say for example, if I'm standing before a group of 100 people, if there are 100 ladies, I have to address that group with feminine substantives. If it's 100 men, I address it with masculine substantives. But if there's 99 ladies and one man, I have to address that group in the masculine. Now listen, don't think that that's sexist. Don't think that that's male chauvinistic. That's just the rules of grammar that operate behind Greek and Portuguese and Spanish and several other languages. That's the way it's done. And that's the way it is here with this writer. So when he says, brothers, don't focus so much on the sex or the gender, but focus on the number, it's plural, he's addressing the entire body. So he says, brothers, take care. And then look what he does. So, so what is that, take care? Well, that's pastoral care. That's how we do it. And now notice what else he does on down in verse number 13. If that weren't enough, look what he says. But encourage one another. You see that? So here's the picture of the body. The picture of the body is you and I taking care of one another. There's going to be times when my ox is in the ditch, you pull me out. There are times when your ox is in the ditch and I pull you out. There are times when you're discouraged, I pick you up. There are times when I'm discouraged, you pick me up. That's just the way it works and that's our responsibility to the body to give pastoral care to one another. Hey, if we don't care for one another, what makes us any different than the Lions Club? Huh? Or anybody else? <laughs> so somebody asked me just this week and... and and, and, and this is a good question. Somebody, somebody said that the question that was posed to them by somebody here in the community of Bonifay, when they were asking them about coming to Grace Church, they said, this is what I don't understand about Grace Church. I'm going to trip on my shoestring. Let me tie it. I can talk while I'm tying, I think. Said, they asked them this. Said, well, here's what I don't understand about Grace Church. If the pastor lives in Troy, Alabama, how can he pastor the flock? Now look, that's a very good question. If you come from this, if you come at church from the perspective of a Bible Belt, Southern Baptist, traditional church mindset. Because that says that the pastor must do everything. But you see, Grace Church is not built on that model at all. As a matter of fact, in our very early days, Dr. John Wilson and I sat down and we said, this is one of the things that we want to purposefully avoid. We don't want this church to be dependent and built around one personality, i.e. the pastor. So here's what we do. Have you noticed how we push things out? I mean, this morning, how many folk have come and shared publicly from this pulpit? You see, there, there are members here that you need to hear from. Hey, Randy, that was a great word. 
So many folk think that, oh, I have nothing to contribute when God has already infused their life with things they can use for His glory and they don't see it. So you need to hear from her, you know? You need to hear guys like Eric Burnham stand up here and read the Scripture, huh? I mean, we need to hear from one another. That's encouraging. So yeah, we don't ever want Grace Church to have its pastoral care done only by the pastor. But you know there's some places where, boy, that's the, only thing, that's the only thing that's acceptable. But let me tell you about a recent survey that the Barna Group just conducted. You know they're always doing polls. And they did a poll and they found out that something has totally flip-flopped in the United States of America since the 1980s and where we are today. Here's what he found out. In the 1980s they did this same poll. And here's what he asked people. The first time you go to a church, what makes a difference on whether or not you come back? You know what the number one answer was? Whether or not the pastor comes personally to visit me in my home after that visit. You know what it is today? Here's, here's what they say. They say, if somebody from the church will contact me, it's not a personal visit, it may just be a, an email, it might be a text message, it might be a phone call, but somebody from the church. And here's what Barner realized. Wait a minute. This is not just a flip-flop in between a personal visit and a phone call. This is a flip-flop between members doing the visiting and the pastor doing the visiting. So he dug a little deeper, and you know what he found out? This is what he found out. Folks told him, oh, no, we expect to get that from the pastor because he's paid to do it. But when somebody from the church does it, that means more because we know they're out here doing it because they genuinely love us, not because it's their job. Woo! Come on, sunshine. I mean, I, sometimes, sometimes folk who are outside the church have a better view of what the church ought to be than folks inside the church. You ever notice that? So here we go. It is our personal responsibility one to another to give pastoral care. Here's how we do it at Grace Church. There's no way. Oh, if this was a typical Southern Baptist church, I'm out because I cannot do that long distance. But here's how we do it at Grace. Here's how it works. It's these Grace groups. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, look, we'll have more in Grace groups on any given week than we have in worship service. And you know why? Because folk have found community there. Folk find encouragement there. Folks find ministry there. They find that they are built up there. That's where it all takes place. So these grace groups aren't just about us meeting and talking about a sermon on Wednesday nights. These grace groups serve a very biblical function. Check out number next. I got to run. Are y'all ready to run? Some of you did yesterday. Y'all ready for a break, aren't you? Here we go. A heart-healthy body has members who realize their personal duty to the fellowship. Number 1, verse number 12, to give pastoral care. But number 2, verse 13a, to give personal encouragement. Look what he says in verse 13. But encourage one another. You see, here's the pastoral reciprocity one to another, but now it's personal encouragement. Personal encouragement. Do you know how far a word of encouragement goes? Hey man, there are folk who work their hineys off right here at Grace Church on a weekly basis. And sometimes you feel like nobody even notices it. So here's my challenge to you, Grace Church, and we're even going to come back and revisit this in Grace Group this week. Here's my challenge to you. Find somebody. Now not me, I'm excluding myself. Find somebody this week and encourage them. 
maybe before Grace Group, so you can share with us just how that felt, what that looked like, what the results of that were. Uh, find somebody and just say, hey man, I just want you to know that I'm a big fan. I watch you and I'm encouraged to see what you do and how you do it and the joy that exudes from your life. You, you watch the response. Man, I, you give a word of encouragement to folk today and you couldn't have given them a $100 bill to making them felt any better. Well, I'm just going to say, Jerry. You know, Jerry said give him the $100 bill. <laughs> That's because he gets plenty of encouragement at home from Karen. You know? <laughs> But find somebody because this is what makes a heart-healthy person and this is what makes a heart-healthy church. When we begin to build one another up and encourage one another in our walk and just, just letting folk know, hey, you are not unnoticed. You are not unimportant. You are not un un unvaluable. You are invaluable instead of unvaluable. Is unvaluable a word? I don't know if it is. I just made it up. Here we go if it's not. Notice number next, a heart-healthy church has people who give pastoral care. They give personal encouragement, but they also give prompt attention. Check out verse 13b. Look what he says. Here's where he goes back to his scripture, but encourage one another day after day. So what he's saying is do this now, prompt attention. And if, if, if his word wasn't enough, he goes back and he grabs a word out of his text. Look what it is, today. Today. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. You know today is the only thing you really have any influence or control over. Yesterday's gone. It's done. It's in the books. There's nothing we can do to change yesterday. Don't you wish there was? But ain't nothing we can do to change yesterday's done. Hey, tomorrow may not come. So tomorrow's outside the scope of what we can do anything about, particularly worry. It does you no good worry about tomorrow. But this writer's pointing out today. So here's what he's saying. Give prompt attention. Hey man, when the Spirit of God prompts us, we are masters at procrastinating and putting it off and saying, man, I see I need to do that. Just not today. This is the only time you have control over. And you're saying no? I, I, I heard uh, a quote by Will Rogers the other day, and here's what he said. He said, why put off till tomorrow? Anybody want to finish it? No, that's not what he said. <laughs> I set you up, didn't you? Didn't I? <laughs> here's what Will Rogers said. He said, why put off till tomorrow what you can just as well do the day after tomorrow? <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> you know why? Because that's our M.O. more times than we want to realize, isn't it? Tomorrow, no, just sometime next week. <laughs> but this writer tells us if we're going to be heart healthy, look here, if we're going to be heart healthy people, if we're going to have a heart-healthy body, spiritual body of church, then here's what we do. When God's Word says something, look here, we don't go home and pray about it. Huh? When the Spirit urges us in a certain direction, we don't have to think about it and plan out our course of action because He's pretty specific, right? Man, if we could just make that a habit of doing this, 
when God says it, do it. Right here, right here, right now. While it's called today, if not, then we've already been disobedient, right? So notice what else he says. This heart-healthy body gives pastoral care, personal encouragement, prompt attention, and in verse 13c, to perform preventive maintenance. Preventive maintenance. You know, this is a lesson you'll learn the hard way, especially if you're like me and you've got some heavy equipment. You just neglect your preventative maintenance schedule, Rod. Don't change the oil in that excavator for about five years and see what happens to you. Huh? <laughs> I mean, don't pull the dipstick and check any of your fluid levels or anything like that. Don't do anything preventive and watch what happens. I promise you, it's not gonna end good. And this guy in verse 13c tells us about preventive maintenance. Look what he says. Verse 13c, he says this. After he says today... So that. Now y'all tell me, what is so that? What are those two words? Woo, look at y'all. That's a purpose clause. This is the reason why we do this. And here it is, look at this. So that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So he tells us, encourage one another. Be involved in one another's lives. Rub elbows with people. By the way, do you know why the, the, the traditional model of church isn't working by and large today? Because here's what people think who are a part of a body like that. They want to come and they want to have anonymity. They want to ease in five minutes before church starts. They want to sit down on the back pew and listen and get up while everybody's got their heads bowed and eyes closed praying the closing prayer so they don't have to interact with anybody. Friends, that just does not work. If we're not involved in one another's lives, encouraging one another, doing preventative maintenance, then we're going to be like the rest of them and we're going to fall in the desert. Now look what preventative maintenance, or look what preventive maintenance does. Number one, it will keep us, look, it will keep us from being hardened. And what is it that hardens us? Look what he says. So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So here's what we're preventing. We're preventing hardness by the deceitfulness of sin. Hey, here's what it is this writer says hardens us. It sins deceitfulness. Have you ever noticed that the devil, he always shows you the good side of things. He never shows you the bad side. Here's what the devil does. He says, here's the deceitfulness of sin. Look at all the fun. He doesn't tell you if you do this, you're probably going to destroy your life. He doesn't say if, you're gonna, if you do this, you're probably going to lose your family. He never says if you do this, there are going to be severe consequences. That's deceitfulness. Deceitfulness. And isn't sin like that? Huh? Well, look, this is what this body that has a healthy heart function does. We're involved in one another's lives so that one of us doesn't become hard. And the deceitfulness of sin, hey, if somebody's not involved, if your church is not involved like that in your life, you're going to begin to look across the fence and you're going to think there's greener pasture over there and there's not. <laughs> it's probably just on top of somebody's septic tank, huh? 
It's deceitful. It looks good. It looks fun. It looks promising. And it'll harden your heart and it'll end up destroying you. He says that's why a church has got to be involved with one another. Notice what else he says. Not only does he say that we're protecting ourselves against the deceitfulness of sin, but also from the discouragement of separation. Look, in, look what else we're trying to prevent by all of this. Look in verse number 12b. He says, See to it, brethren, that there be no one among you with an evil, unbelieving heart that does this. Look, that falls away from the living God. Here's what I notice about folk who fall away. It always starts with a small step. Most folk don't ever just go from sitting in church one Sunday morning to on skid row the next Sunday morning. They don't. But here's what they'll do. They'll start unplugging. They'll take a little step toward the door. They'll unplug. Next thing you know, they're taking another step, little step toward the door. They, they, they may not show up but about two Sundays out of a month. Oh boy, listen, I've seen this a hundred times. When that starts happening with somebody who was once involved, they're taking steps. They're taking steps. And if there's not a church that comes around them and says, over our dead body, will you go out this door like this in this crucial time of your life, then by golly, they're going to end up in skid row and their body's going to fall in the wilderness. Separated. Separated from fellowship, not only with God, but separated from fellowship with the family. And he says a little preventive maintenance will stop that. Check out number next what he says our duty to one another is. Pastoral care, personal encouragement, prompt attention, preventive maintenance. And look in verse number 14. Here is my duty and here's your duty if we're going to have a heart healthy body. Verse number 14. For we have become partakers of Christ. Underline this word. If we hold fast. The beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. What is my duty? What is your duty to have a healthy heart spiritually? To persevere until the end. To persevere. Hey, listen to me. Quitting is not an option for a believer. It just isn't one of our live viable options. As a matter of fact, for, the, for a believer... I, I, let me just say it like this. Notice with me. Let this verse say it. Underline this word if in verse number 14. Now look what he says. For we have become partakers of Christ. You know what that means? That means we've been born again. We have been engrafted into His body spiritually. We belong to Him. We've been bought with a price. We have been born again. We've placed our faith in Him. We are no longer our own. We are His. In layman's terms, we've been saved, right? We've been saved. Now look what he says in verse number 14. Underline this word, if. Here is the evidence of your salvation. You are not saved by persevering. You persevere because you are saved. You see this? Look what he says. He says, for we have been partakers of Christ. I, we've been saved if what? If we hold fast. The beginning of our assurance. Look at that word means, I know that I know. How many of you that when you were saved, you knew that you knew it, by golly? Couldn't nobody talk you out of it? See, that's biblical salvation. When you're born again, you know that you've been born again, huh? He says we hold, 
He said we hold firm that assurance, firm until the going gets tough. But if somebody hurts our feelings, till it didn't go like we wanted it to, we hold firm to the end, no question. No question. Now look here. You know that Southern Baptists have taken it on the chin over this for years. And it's our doctrine of, we used to say it, once saved, always saved, right? Let me tell you how the Bible would say it. The Bible would say, if saved, always saved. Here's what John tells us about people who left the church in his day. John says, they went out from among us because they were never really of us. You see that? Listen, if you walk out, if you hang up your hat, if you throw in the towel, if you quit, you have absolutely zero assurance biblically that you've ever been born again. Because believers don't quit. They just don't. No matter what happens. And let me tell you how that's an encouragement to me. Let me show you how that makes a heart-healthy body. Because I watch some of it. No, I don't. I watch all of you. And you may not know it, but sometimes I know the things that you're going through, and I'm so socially awkward, I don't know what to say that's appropriate and not appropriate. But here's what impresses me. When you have your back against the wall, and when things are tough, when... You, 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 you mules in a ditch and you don't give up. Listen, I have never understood the thought process behind, but preacher, I'm having such a hard time until I can't go to church. No, I'm having such a hard time till there's nowhere else I want to be except in an encouraging body of Christ worshiping the God who's worthy of all praise. Man, that's where I want to be. Look at here, if when things are tough, I cut church out of my schedule, I have to ask myself, was it really ever an integral part of who I am? So how do we have a heart-healthy body? And we got a bunch of folk who persevere, Jamie, to the end, who hang on like some of y'all would say a hair in a biscuit. <laughs> Like a bird dog on a chicken bone, Jerry. Whatever else we, whatever other country metaphor we, we want to use. Son, we just latch on. And we ain't letting go. Notice number next. Getting a little bit more weighty as we go through here. A heart healthy body has members who realize their personal duty to the fellowship. And the last one that he points out is in verse 15. And here's how I say it. To prioritize the ultimate over the immediate. Now look at verse number 15. While it is said, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as when they provoked me. As when they provoked me. You know the historical context. Children of Israel were out in the desert. They got a little thirsty. All of a sudden when they got thirsty, they got mean to Moses. They started demanding stuff from him and demanding stuff from God. You know why? Because they were thirsty. They wanted a drink of water right now. And their concern for alleviating their immediate pain 
cost them their ultimate purpose in life. Are you following me? This is one of the greatest traps that the devil uses to shipwreck well-intended people today. We think the most important thing is whatever's happening right now. And sometimes we will forfeit the ultimate, what God has planned in our lives in order to satisfy the immediate need that I have today. Hey, do you know that the most important thing in your life is not the urgent? The most important thing in your life is not the immediate. The most important thing in your life and my life is the ultimate. And you know what the ultimate is? And the context of this scripture is the ultimate is what God has planned for me. You see, He had planned for those people the promised land. We're not talking about heaven here. We're talking about God's plan for us in this life. And He says, I know the plans I've made for you. Listen, God's plans for us are bigger than we can imagine because He's able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we're able to ask or think. But here's what we do. We know all of this. Oh yeah, preacher, I know God's got great plans for me, but I'm hungry. Huh? And you might think, well, what's the big deal? It's just eating. That's what Eve thought too. And look what that caused us. You see, anytime, anytime our appetites control us, then here's what we're doing. We're putting the need for the immediate above the importance of the ultimate. And by golly, don't you fall into that trap. Here's what we're going to do in Grace Group. We are never going to talk about what my tendencies are in the immediate to, to sacrifice the ultimate for. So we're going to talk about some people that we know. huh? <laughs> what do some people think that's so important that they do today that they're willing to sacrifice God's best for it? And a church that has a heart-healthy heart body won't do that. Look here, there's going to be ups and downs, even in a healthy church. You hear, you're, you're watching me? Ups and downs. But by golly, we're not going to get in a valley and we're not going to drill a well there trying to satisfy our thirst for what can only be fulfilled on the mountaintop. We're going to keep marching. And eventually that valley's going to turn into an upward slope and you'll get back on the mountaintop. But by golly, don't pitch a tent down in the valley trying to serve and satisfy an immediate need to the neglect of the ultimate. Alright, here we go. Check out the second division of this text. A heart-healthy body has members who realize their personal duty to the fellowship. Verses 16 through 19, this preacher tells us, a heart-healthy body has members who remember the potential danger of failure. The potential danger. Now look what he does here. He gives us three questions. And here's why he gives, us, gives them three questions. You know why? Because he's like most people, or like most preachers. He knows when he preaches something what the objections from the crowd's going to be. So he answers those objections even before they have time to arrive. I mean, that's just the way they teach us to do this in homiletics. Anticipate what the issues are going to be and cut them off at the pass. 
And that's what this old boy does because here's what everybody's thinking. Everybody's thinking it was listening to him. Oh, wait a minute. Failure, falling away, prioritizing the immediate above the ultimate. That's what they did. That's not what we are going to do. Because every human being comes pre-programmed with the propensity to think that's what happens to other people. It'll never happen to me. I'm too smart. I'm too slick. I know how to handle it. I can control it. It might happen to everybody else, but watch me. Ain't happening to me. I can handle this. We're just all, we all come thinking that way. We think death is what happens to other people. We think cancer is what happens to other people. We think car accidents is what happens to other people. But lo and behold, a heart-healthy church remembers the potential danger that exists. Hey, we think that way. I was talking with, I was talking with, with a preacher the other day and I was telling him about since I got out of seminary, I got out of seminary when I was 30 years old. And my first church called me in Gulfport, Mississippi. And I'll never forget what a deacon told me. My first day on the job, he said, Son, remember this. Jesus started his ministry when he was 30 years old, and he was nailed to a cross before he was 33. <laughs> I didn't realize how prophetic that was. <laughs> I should have re, 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 stopped and thought, you know. Because in that church I went to, I was very familiar with the church. In the past 35 years, they had never had a pastor survive there more than two and a half years. You know what I thought? Yeah, that's right, brother. I thought, look at here. They may have threw them other rookies. I ain't throwing this cowboy. <laughs> After 18 months, <laughs> Robin, <laughs> they throwed me, son. <laughs> Not throwed, they throwed me. <laughs> my feet were straight up in the air and my head was pointed down and the ground was coming up fast. I, I had to get out of there. See, I realized, no, <laughs> it happens to me too. <laughs> So he's trying to cut that attitude off in these people saying, listen here, don't you think it can't happen to you? I hope there's nobody in this building that thinks it can't happen to us because it can happen to us, Grace Church. Just like that. Now check out what he says. Question number one. He's getting them to think. For who provoked him when they had heard? Look at this, they'd heard. They'd been sitting under good preaching. Under Moses, they've been hearing from the Lord. Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? So here's his first point. His first point is says, you better realize the potential danger because delivered people can still fail. See, what's the point of bringing up Moses here, leading them out of Egypt? That's deliverance. That's deliverance. You know what that's, that's typical of? That's typical of what happens when Jesus Christ finds us and saves us. We've been delivered. In other words, we've been set free. You see, they were slaves in Egypt. Now, who is it that makes all the decisions for a slave? The master. And you see, when Jesus found us, we were serving a master too, and that master was sin. 
saying, listen, before you are saved, here's the deal. There are very few decisions that you make on your own. Most of them are made for you by the devil, by, the, by sin, by the flesh, by the world, John says. We think we're free, but we're not. We're a puppet of the devil. But now watch this. When you've been born again, when you've been delivered, the Bible says if the Son shall make you free, you are free indeed. Now all of a sudden, you have the ability to make decisions. You have the responsibility to make good decisions based on God's Word. And by golly, if we don't make good decisions, there are bad consequences. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we just live in a world that's full of cause and effect, right? And it's the same thing spiritually. And he says, you better look out. Mind your P's and Q's because just because you've been delivered don't mean that you are not subject to fail and fail miserably. Do you know that everybody in this room today, every person sitting in this room today is just one boneheaded decision away from total disaster. Stop and think about it. It's that close. It's that close. You understand why we're going through the Proverbs right now so we can live wisely and make good decisions? Because we're all just one bad decision away from horrible circumstances. Check out number next. Look at the second question in verse 17. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? That is God. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Here's the principle. Here's what he's saying. Disaster can still strike. Disaster can still strike. All we got to do is, is, is prioritize the immediate and the urgent above the ultimate. And by golly, we could die in the wilderness. Bodies fell in the wilderness. God had good plans for them and a land flowing with milk and honey. And because of poor decisions, disaster struck took out the whole generation. Look at the next question. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but to those who were disobedient? Here's the third question, the third principle. Disobedience can crush our future. Hey, God's got good plans for us. He really does. We're just starting to see the hem of the garment at Grace Church. Did you know that? I mean, we are. God's got good things in mind for us. But you know what can crush that? disobedience. As soon as our heart gets hard and we don't respond promptly to what God is saying, disobedience can crush our future. Look at final thing and I'm done. Verse number 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. See those two little words, not able, underline them and you're a copy of the scripture, because they're key. This is what he's saying. He's saying disability is caused by unbelief. Now stay with me for a little while here, because this is pretty heavy. Disability. Now, why did they not go into the promised land, is the question. And there are two verses right here that give it from God's perspective and from man's perspective. Number one, they didn't go into the 
land flowing with milk and honey because God says, all right, that's it. I'm done with y'all. You bunch of stiff-necked, hard-hearted people, your generation's going to fall in the desert. And the Bible says God swore that they wouldn't enter. But you know what that was on God's part? That really was an act of mercy. That's what some people call the severity of God's grace. That wasn't the worst thing that could have happened to them. The worst thing that could have happened to them is God said no and them get up and still try to go and do it. And the writer answers that question right here. Look what he says. He says we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. That means unbelief causes severe disability. Now look with me at those two words again, not able. Here's the root word. It has an alpha privative up front which is like a negation factor and the root word is dunamis. And you've heard this all your life from preachers. What Greek word or what English word do we get from the Greek word dunamis? Dynamite. You put the alpha privative up front and it says you are unpowerful. You are not able. You have no ability. And in the original, here's what the word means. It means to be totally lacking in moral, spiritual, and physical ability. You can't do it. You're not able. So here's the picture this, this, uh, this preacher's given us. Here's what he says. He says, all right, God said no. You, you, you don't go into the promised land. And he said that because the hardness of their heart and because of unbelief, they failed to believe God. God said, y'all go in there and y'all conquer them. The spies went in, they looked and they said they didn't believe God. They believed the circumstances they could see with their eyes rather than the God that they could hear with their ears. And every spy except Joshua and Caleb came out and said, we can't. And they cowered down. And that is an offense to Almighty God. Because God says, I wasn't asking you to do it. I was going to do it through you. But since you think you can't, what you're really saying is I can't, so you're not going. And that was mercy on God's part. Because let me tell you what would have happened if a bunch of people who have no spiritual, moral, and physical ability, they were a dunamis, Brother Larry, they were adunamous. You know what would have happened if those people who, who, who had unbelief in their heart would have went in and tried to take that land? Let me tell you what would have happened. First battle, Jericho. There would have been so many dead Israelite bodies laying on the ground that God would have had to call in buzzards from a thousand miles away just to eat them all. You see what I'm saying? It was God's mercy that they didn't go in, that he barred the way because these people had no spiritual, moral, or physical ability. And if you try to do something in that condition, I promise you, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. Now watch me. I sit down with folk all the time tell me they've been called preach or pastor or missionary. You know what the first thing is I try to do? You better believe it. I try to talk them out of it. Because look, this is not a glamorous life. Hey, being a part of the body of Christ is not about glamour and prestige. You've heard this all your life. We're not called to a picnic, son. This is warfare. This is warfare. So don't sign up unless you know that you know that you've been born again. The Spirit of God dwells in you. 
You're believing what God has said in His Word so that you don't find yourself in a critical condition and all of a sudden you're a dunamis because it will kill you. And I'm sorry to say this, but I've seen a lot of folk go off into stuff that they thought they could handle, Dane. And it ended up not only destroying them, but their family, their wife, their kids, and everybody else because they went into something spiritually that they were not prepared for. They were adunamous. They were unable, Colin. And it crushed them. So here's what I say. Here's the antidote to that. If God says it, believe it. Because unbelief is what puts us in that circumstance. If God says it, believe it. And when do we believe it? Today, we give prompt attention because a heart-healthy body does not delay obedience. One of my mentors, Fred Wolf, used to say all the time, delayed obedience is disobedience. Then he would follow up by saying this, partial obedience is disobedience. Two out of three is horrible. If God says it, we don't do two out of three, we do all three. Otherwise, we end up getting crushed. Hey, Grace Church, listen to me. Hear my heart as pastor. I'm so grateful for what God is doing here. God has begun a good work. In Jesus' name, may we stick with the stuff until the end so that we can get to where God ultimately wants us to be as a church in Bonifay, Florida. Did you remember what Eric read? Those who persevere, those who endure, counted what? Blessed. 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 All we got to do is turn that around and read it the opposite way. Those who quit are not blessed. I don't know about you, but I want to live right in the middle of His blessing. That means we got to stick with the stuff so that we can have a heart-healthy body for the glory of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for those who are here, God, that make up this body that you are putting a healthy heart into. I pray for those who are here today, God, they, they heard a word from you. God, I pray that there would be prompt obedience. I pray for those who are here that have never placed their faith in you. I pray, God, that they would obey the scripture that says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God, whatever it is that you have said to us today, may we be found faithful for our good and for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.